Now, I'd like the kids to say it, stay in this. Uh, it won't be that long, uh, but it'd be good for the kids who can't understand so they can hear what God has got to say about the government. Uh, Father, we thank you this morning for your, your love and mercy. We ask you to bless this offering. Um, bless, uh, Lord, there could be a tremendous economic upheaval come on this nation. Uh, but, Lord, we want to begin even now to set our eyes upon you. If we haven't done that already, Lord, we want to take this moment to set our eyes upon you and see you as the source of everything. Lord, we thank you for uh, a nation that gives people the opportunity to prosper financially and economically. <clears throat> and Lord, even as, as we go through these times of, of trying in the nation, um, we understand, Lord, you're the one who gives us power to make wealth. So, Father, I just ask you this morning that you would remove any fear from people's hearts about that. And they would begin to see, Lord, you as the source of all, Lord. You are our source. You're our source of life, and you're our economic source just as much, Lord. We thank you for your blessings upon us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. There are two things that I know about the Lord in these days. Number one is, is that He is our refuge and our high tower that cannot be brought down by evil. And I also know that He is a merciful, loving God and is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. question has been asked many times this week, why would a loving God let something like this happen? It was not God's intention that there would be loss of life. His intention is that men would be saved. But it really is the evil in men's heart that brings about suffering. It is the result of sin that God does not desire that suffering and death first entered the world and still afflicts us. I was led this week to a passage in Romans 12, verse 15. It says, Rejoice with those who rejoice. We've heard the stories of miraculous deliverances this week of people who were late for work and uh, were spared. There was one story about a guy who rode a chunk of concrete down from the 102nd floor and survived with just a broke leg. And we rejoice in those small stories of deliverance. And many of those people who, who had loved ones who made it through this thing, who were able to get out of the buildings, are even now feeling sort of like a guilt that they survived. It's called survivor's guilt. But we rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But we also weep with those who weep. And I think most of us have shed a few tears this week. It says, Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. 
Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink, for in so doing you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We have seen an exaggerated and horrible demonstration of what satanic thinking leads to. What, what harboring evil in your heart, the fruits of that is death and destruction. Men who harbored hatred and resentment in their hearts became so deceived that they believed that they were right in stealing airplanes and driving them into the sides of buildings where innocent men, women, and children were working. That is evil. That is deception that does not come from God. So we need, to, on a personal level, in our own hearts, ask God to purge us, to cleanse us from any sort of wrong thinking, from any darkness that is in our hearts. It's like one person said this morning, it was on 9-11, that God gave us a wake-up call. And I hope that we get it. You know, to wake up and see that any darkness in our heart, any sin in our heart, we need to repent of that. We need to not harbor evil on any level in our own hearts. God forbid that we become like that which we have seen demonstrated. On a personal level, in our spirit, there is a temptation for us to respond soulishly and to get angry. There are many... Arab Americans who have received death threats this week. And I pray that God would, would protect all of those innocent people. God forbid that we be driven into prejudice and hatred by evil, for then the evil one has victory over us. Our God is a high tower of love and forgiveness that we can find shelter in. But we cry out, where is justice in the midst of this? And God has an answer in the very next few verses. He says, every person is to be in subjection to governing authorities. See, there is a realm of authority that we must operate in on an individual level, but there is also a realm of authority given to governments. We need not to confuse the two. For there is no authority except from God, and those who exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority is opposed to the ordinance of God, and they have opposed, they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. For rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior, but for evil. We even cringe at the thought of those appointed authorities. It is very distasteful and very wrong for our police or our military to exact personal vengeance with prejudice on innocent people. We cringe at that because that's an ugly thing. 
That's not a good thing. What we want to see is we want to see righteous judgment brought forth. There is a difference. Do you want to have no fear of authority? Do what is good and you will have praise from the same. For it is a minister of God to you for good. But if you do what is evil, be afraid. I think those who have harbored evil in their hearts need to be afraid. For it does not bear, speaking of government, it does not bear the sword for nothing. For it is a minister of God and an avenger who brings wrath on the one who practices evil. See, that is the function of our government. That is the function of our military. We need to pray that those people who are in authority would react in righteous justice against evil, but not in vengeance. Not with the same ugly hatred that we have seen demonstrated this week, but to bring forth justice to protect the innocent. There is a difference. We need to pray for our government. Therefore, it's necessary to be in subjection, not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For rulers are servants of God, devoting themselves to this very thing. Render to all what is due them, tax to whom taxes due, custom to whom custom, fear to whom fear, honor to whom honor. This week I heard that um, they're going to give $150,000 to the families of all of those firemen and emergency medical people who were running into harm's way while everyone else was running out of the building. And hundreds of them gave their lives. You see, we do need government to take care of the families of those men. That is tax dollars well spent, in my opinion. Our tax dollars would be well spent to eradicate terrorism. Not only to protect our nation, to protect all innocent people who are being oppressed by terror and fear. We saw terror grip our nation this week where nationwide schools were closed, government buildings were closed in Charlotte and in every city around our nation. Fear is not from God. God is love and love casts out fear. But we need to pray in this time. See, it's not our responsibility to have revenge or vengeance or unforgiveness or, or hatred in our own hearts. On a personal level, we don't have, we are not given that authority. We are to, to cleanse ourselves from that. And even those young men who will be called up in the military to go out and combat um, terrorism need to be careful that they not do it from a place of vengeance, but in righteous justice. That is what we want to see come forth. Before, because that realm is given to our government. You see the difference? I think if we get the realms of authority clear in our own hearts, then we can mourn. We can weep with those who weep. 
And we can forgive those who persecute us or unleash evil against us on a personal level. We can resist that bitterness that comes into our heart. And yet, at the same time, we can pray that God would raise up righteous instruments of justice on a national and governmental level to deal with the evil of terrorism. So in this day, we need both to pray for ourselves individually and for those who are in government who have this responsibility. This is a day that we really do, we have received a wake-up call to pray and to pray earnestly. But we have much to be thankful for because hundreds and thousands of people who have not been in a church in years ran to churches this week to cry out to God for mercy and for repentance purposes, for forgiveness. We need to pray earnestly that those local churches nationwide would have words of comfort, would be able to build up, would be able to lead those people who have strayed from what they know is right in their hearts, that they would return permanently and eternally to the God of love. I want to really ask the parents of all the young kids to reinforce that to the children because, uh, <clears throat> you know, the kids, they tend to, that's where a lot of this stuff starts with us adults. Is as a young kid, we get this vengeance attitude in our hearts. And so I wanted your kids to hear it this morning and also ask you parents to really try to uh, impart that kind of thinking to your kids, which means you need to have that kind of thinking imparted to you. Amen. Well, Father, we uh, want to pray one more time. Um, pray that you would help our government do its job. Um, you do its job to protect us um, physically and do its job to execute justice upon uh, criminals, both within our borders and the ones they need to go outside of our borders to get. We pray you would bless that endeavor and make it, so that there'd be minimal loss of life, but the ones who are guilty could be brought to justice in the way that they need to be brought to justice. And, Lord, that we wouldn't have vengeful hearts. Protect us from that. Uh, because you clearly said, vengeance is mine. And, Lord, we don't want to try to take something that you have reserved for yourself upon ourselves. So this morning, if we have vengeance in our heart, Lord, we want to give it to you and just confess that we got something that belongs to you and we want to release it to you right now. And say, so here we go, Lord, here it is, it's yours. You take it and you use it as you choose. And Lord, if there's any person in this room who can't do that, I ask you to deal with them and convict them to the point where they can't even sleep at night until they will release it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Children, you can be released to go to Sunday school. Lord, bless the kids. Open your Bible to Luke Chapter 13. Luke 13. Mm-hmm. I want to read um, something the Lord, just in my normal Bible reading. It wasn't something I was looking to get. Actually, I was reading it this morning, and I felt like the Lord really spoke it to me and really reinforced it. Um, 
Luke 13, verse 1. There were present at that season some who told him about the Galatians whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And that's verse 1. And Jesus answered and said to them, Do not suppose that these Galatians were worse sinners than all other Galatians because they suffered such things. I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. Or those 18 on whom the, power, the tower of Siloam fell and killed them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all other men who dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all likewise perish. It's pretty powerful words from Jesus Himself. Uh, again, I, want to look, I didn't go look up towers and think buildings falling. And I was just reading this morning. But verse 6 is a connection uh, to the, those first uh, five verses, verse 6 through 9. It says, He also spoke this parable. See, he's explaining something to them now. He also spoke this parable. A certain man had a fig tree planted in his vineyard, and he came seeking fruit on it and found none. Then he said to the keeper of his vineyard, Look, for three years I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find none. For three years. Uh, we all understand, I think we all understand, that the fig tree represents Israel. And those three years represent the three years that Christ was on the earth uh, preaching a message of repentance, uh, preaching the kingdom of God. I mean, that's really what he's saying there. He's really trying to say something to these folks. For three years I, came, I have come seeking fruit on this fig tree and find them. Cut it down. Why does it use up the ground? But he answered and said to him, Sir, let alone this year also until I dig around it and fertilize it. And if it bears fruit, well, but if, it, if not, after that, you can cut it down. I was really asking the Lord about all this. And I want to tell you, I think the Lord really spoke to me. You know, and it really connects in with this bearing fruit in your life. It is no good to get all spiritual when bad things happen. And two weeks later, you're still, you go right back to doing what you was doing before, living you know, a lukewarm life. That's no good. You know, God forbid that happening. I mean, if, if you die during those two weeks, you know, <laughs> at least you went out on high with the Lord. But most likely you're not going to die. You know, this nation got real spiritual when the Gulf War started. They were prayer meetings there. But once we started winning and everybody knew everything was going to be safe, we sort of went back to our old ways. I don't think that's really what the Lord wants. It really was a 911 wake-up call for the country. That the Lord really is looking for something. Um, but I want to talk to you about what we can do as individuals, okay, on a personal level. Um, that's, that's really what I feel in my heart um, that I want to speak to you about. And I uh, felt like just personally speaking when all this happened, one of the things that I wanted to hear from or one of the people I wanted to hear from was uh, President Bush. I want to hear what he had to say about this situation. Because he's the president. He's the leader of the nation. And I felt like it was really important. You know, what he said was important to me because he's going to make decisions that's going to affect my life in some way. I mean, and if we have a war, it could really affect my life because i got young boys who could be involved in that war. And some of some others you in here do. So I, I really wanted to hear what the leader of this nation had to say. Because uh, I needed some, I needed some assurance from from the leader of the nation on, in the civil government that our government was going to respond appropriately and take care of 
this situation. They weren't going to continue doing what they've always done, at least in the past ten years. So I think God really was wanting to, to speak to us about about leadership. There's just been something that's been on my heart really bad. I mean, even before this happened. Um, and this is what I see. When I look at you guys in this church, and when I look at people out there in the world, is I see people that are scattered. That's what I see. I see people that are scattered, and I see people that are wounded. And I feel like God wants to address that. I feel like He looks at us like scattered sheep. I feel like that's the way He looks at us. Right now, this, this nation is a nation of wounded sheep. And I think God has an answer for that. You see, and that, that's what I'm trying to tell you. I feel like President Bush is like the, in the civil government, in the national level, he's like the shepherd over this nation on a natural plane. And that's why I feel like I need to hear from, from my natural shepherd. That's the way I felt. I felt like it was good that Billy Graham spoke at the, the national prayer meeting because even though Billy Graham's an evangelist by calling, if there was a shepherd over this country, he's the shepherd. I mean, I think everybody could embrace Billy Graham. It really is. If there was a shepherd, a spiritual shepherd over the United States, he's as close as one we've got. I thought it was really important. The things he said, was, I felt like it was really the Lord. But you see where I'm going? I think this is really important. I want you to turn over to Esther for a moment, book of Esther. And if you're not familiar with your Bible, you can find the book of Psalms, which is about kind of in the middle of the Bible. And go back two books. Job is just before Psalms, and then Esther is right before, before uh, Job. And most of you know the book of Esther. You know what happened. There was a lady that was a queen named Vashti who insulted the king. He dumped her as the queen. You know, he could do that. And they spent some time looking for a new queen. They found a, a little Jewish girl named Esther. She was an orphan, basically. She had an uncle named Mordecai who took her in, and she was beautiful, and she had a good, you know, the Spirit of God in her and the Spirit of God on her, and because of those things, she was selected to be the new queen after a period of preparation. She became the queen, started living as the queen of the most powerful empire on the face of the earth. Everything was going along fine until her uncle insulted the second guy in command, sort of like the vice president of the country, vice king. His, her uncle, Mordecai, insulted this fella. And this fella found out Mordecai was a Jew, so he convinces the king to set aside a day where every Jew in that land would be destroyed, killed. And uh, Mordecai went to Esther and said, Esther, we got trouble. Our nation, our people are fixing to be slaughtered because I've insulted this guy, Haman. And you need to go to the king and tell him to do something. Well, Esther's first response is, I can't. I can't go to the king because if I go, you know, this is the way this deal works. The king has to invite you. And if he doesn't invite you and you go into his presence, if he doesn't want you in his presence, you're dead. And that's a law. That's a rule. I mean, there ain't no breaking of these rules. That's the way they did it back then. Even though she was his wife, she was his queen, she realized he may be in a bad mood that morning. If he doesn't want to see me, I'm a dead person. So that's really sort of where I just want to read. These, are, these verses have been beat to death in the church, but they're well worthwhile being beat to death. 
I'm going to read in verse 10 of Esther 4. Just read this. Kind of, this is sort of telling what I just told you. Then Esther spoke to Hathach and gave him a command for Mordecai. All the king's servants and all the people of the king's provinces know that any man or woman who goes into the inner court to the king who has not been called, he has but one law, put all to death except the one to whom the king holds out the golden scepter, that he may live. Yet I myself have not been called to go into the king these thirty days. So they told Mordecai Esther's words. And Mordecai told them to answer Esther, Do not think in your heart that you will escape in the king's palace any more than all the other Jews. For if you remain completely silent at this time, relief and deliverance will arise for the Jews from another place. But you and your father's house will perish. Yet who knows whether you have come to the kingdom for such a time as this. Now here's the key. This is what we got to see about all this. Now, this is not play. This stuff happened now. It didn't happen 30 years ago. It didn't happen. It happened on our watch, so to speak. Okay? This is what happened to this nation on our watch. And we're not talking about the President Bush and the civil government. We're talking about the church. We're talking about Christians. It happened on our watch. I don't know. I think probably everybody would agree, even the natural and the natural. You don't have to be no anything real spiritual to figure this out. Everybody says, we're in another era now in this country. Everything's changed. I believe that's probably true. You know, probably the other era, the way I could figure it, just from my life, happened by the time John Kennedy was assassinated up until now. I mean, that was sort of like a chapter in history which came to an end this week. A new chapter opened. You know, and a lot of people can remember where they were at that day when John Kennedy was assassinated. I can remember. Some of you can't because you weren't born. I can remember exactly where I was at. Exactly. Those, I was really glad to be here Tuesday with the school, MCA here, and the kids all here, because these kids will never forget that. I can vividly remember. I don't even remember how old I was. I was, you know, seven or eight years old when John Kennedy was killed. I can vividly remember that day. It was marked on my life. Those kids that were here, that was marked on their life that day when they were sitting here watching history unfold in front of their eyes. So it's great. They'll always remember this church. <laughs> no matter what happens to them, God will always have his finger in their heart some way. They'll remember. You know, he's got a pull on those kids that's incredible. <laughs> he really does. So that was wonderful. But we're, this happened on our watch. We're responsible for this nation in a sense. Spiritually, we're responsible for this nation. The church, just like the government's responsible for doing what they need to do, we've got to look at our responsibility. You have a responsibility. I have a responsibility. And we've got to fulfill that responsibility. We've got to fulfill it. Just like what was spoke to Esther. Esther, you are the queen. God placed you here. He put you in here this day to, take, to do this business. And if you don't do it, God will use somebody else. But you're going to, you know, you're going to go by the wayside. That's a word for us. Because really, in lots of ways, the church is really nothing more than a, a New Testament picture. You know, Esther was an, was an old, old covenant picture of what the church is today. God has placed us to go before the king and intercede for the nation. To stand in the gap for the nation. That's, that's really what we've got to do. We've got to go stand in the gap. And that's exactly what she did. And God brought a great deliverance 
to the neck to the Jewish people because she was willing to risk her life to stand in the gap because she knew she was dead anyway. And see, that's the problem we've got to get in our hearts. We're dead anyway. If we don't, we, you know, God's, we're, honestly, the Lord is not going to be able to use us much. Now, this is what I want to do. I'm not just talking about just praying. I think praying's a given. Anybody, you know, if you're a Christian, you know you're supposed to pray. It's easy to pray right now, right? It's really easy to pray, and we need to keep doing it. But I want to talk about something else we need to do, I think. Okay? Practically. How do we intercede for this country? How do we really do that? How do we really become the salt and the light that God's called us to be? You, you understand what I'm saying to you? Are y'all with me?